Some people clap on a one and three. Some people clap on a two and four. Some people don't join at all because they got no rhythm, and that's all right. Some people, they drink too much. Some people don't drink enough. Some people are just like me. I hope y'all forgive them. I'm like Scott and Tommy Corbins. I'm like Pete Southtown, Zan Zan. I'm always speaking my mind, but I'm better off by my tongue. I'm a bad show at the wrong time. Still, I'm a legend of my own mind. I'm good for the song, but I'm not for Folks, welcome to another Phase 3 Team 2 U9 update. Uh, Monday night, 5 o'clock in Tiverton, we faced Team 3, Big Rig Will and Matt Frazier, Kid Annette, that's been stopping the league, stopping Phase 3. Um, anyways, seesaw battle back and forth, just like all the games we've played, other than that 1-9-1 one one blowout. And uh, we were trailing more than we were winning, but it came down to the last minute again, folks. We were down a goal, 10 to nine. We pulled a goalie and uh, the kids fought hard. We went with no buzzers. We were actually doing line changes. The kids listened great. Easton Owens with a huge goal in the first period. Um, but I tell you, we were, we just, uh, we couldn't get one. You know, we got, we got a three on O with 12 seconds left. And uh, you know, Charlie Small had a great shot, but uh that Frazier kid, man, and Nett, he, he's the real deal um, here in Concordia, folks. You heard it here first. The kid moves like a goalie. He acts like a goalie. He is a goalie. And I tell you, the Concordia Canucks future looks bright if we ever play other towns and other kids other than ourselves. Because um, it's not always fun playing by yourself. But uh, I look forward to showing the world our goalie, Briley Frazier, whenever we get out of this. But uh, Team 3, you guys are hot. Uh, but we'll get you next time. Good work, fellas. Welcome to another episode of Two Ales and Hockey Tales with Wally. And today, I am so excited to have on another guy I have never met from Stratford, Ontario, which is right around the corner. A seventh-round draft pick of the Calgary Flames, who once had over 300 penalty minutes, in one AHL season for the Connecticut Whale. He's played in Canada, the USA, Wales, England, Sweden, Italy, Slovakia, and Hungary. Devin Deeds Didio Meti. How are you doing today? Good, Wally. How are you? Thanks for having me on. The, uh, the list of teams is quite long there. I'm sorry for making you have to go through all of it. I'm sure Calgary is hoping they could have had that draft pick back from whatever year it was <laughs> um actually those weren't teams those were countries <laughs> yeah no the, yeah i guess it's list of countries and then an even bigger list of teams to follow it's the subfolder in the folder yeah um, <laughs> I, I was just giving the main folders but uh so usually what i would do is i give a bit of a background how we know each other and uh there's actually <laughs> There's quite a bit here uh, that uh, for a guy I've never met, uh, you were the first one to personally reach out to me when I started the podcast of a player um, I wasn't a teammate with that I didn't personally know. You were the first one to say like, 
good job. Like I like it. So thank you for doing that. Not a problem. I, uh, I quite frequently listen to podcasts, especially now with COVID and, and not much going on and, and saw this float across, uh, screen one day and and recognize your name from uh growing up watching you play actually when you played junior b and then again watching you at western michigan and and hearing your name and and pro and obviously played in cardiff and i played there so seeing your names uh, a bunch of times i thought you know what i'm gonna check this out and, and listen to it and uh thought it was good you know given the real scoop on on pro hockey and and how it is and shooting things straight and uh just wanted to reach out and and let you know i thought you were doing a good job and and to keep it up, I guess. Well, I truly appreciate it because like I, I've said before, I never would have thought I'd be doing something like this or putting myself out there like this. But now that I have, man, the response from guys like you just make me want to continue doing it, which I will. <laughs> uh, but other reasons why we knew each other was I don't have this down yet, but when you signed in Manchester, my last hockey season, when I hurt my knee and never really played, um, you signed in Manchester. I think the season had already started and I could just feel our room deflate. Like every guy in the room in Cardiff was like, oh, Deeds is back in the league. Are you serious? Like we have to deal with him again. I didn't know who you were. I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah, no, I uh, I had started the year off in Slovakia and I got a pretty lengthy suspension there and uh, Manchester reached out for me to go play there and uh, thought, why not? I, I enjoyed my time in, in England and wanted to go back a second time and, and try to have a, a better go at it and it didn't end up working out the way I wanted it to. But uh, yeah, I did some crazy stuff in that league. I was a lot younger, a lot more crazy and uh, I think I had quite the reputation there for a while. Well, we, we, we can get into that later, but I was just discussing how I couldn't believe it was almost, it was, it, I don't know if it was fear or more just, they were just, they felt like they were already, like they were deflated that you were coming back in the league and we had to deal with you again. So I, I never really, I don't think I played a game against you, but um, it doesn't sound that fun. Um, so anyways, uh, the other reason why we have a link, which we'll get into how you played in Cardiff and so did I later on, but I wanted to discuss the George brothers right now before we get into your career, because I have never <clears throat> met people like them. They are brothers in Cardiff that are literally part of the organization. They, when the team wins a championship, they go on the ice with the team they're hugging all the players, all the wives. They don't work for the team. Um, they are just friends. Uh, and like, but what they do is they make everybody on the team feel like they're part of a family. And they did that as soon as I got to Cardiff. And Todd realized that the new GM and he was the new GM and realizes these two brothers are as part of the organization as anybody else yeah, Chris and Steve were were so instrumental um, in, in me enjoying my first little bit in Cardiff. I mean, I went over there as a 23 or 24-year-old, first time overseas. I wasn't married, didn't have a girlfriend. Um, 
and and Steve and and Chris reached out right away, go have beers with them, and just the two funniest guys in the world. And and of course, there's Fat Allen. I'm sure you've met him as well. And and the three of them in the room together, it's, it was just like giggling, like I was a little kid, and and just felt like I was back home with my buddies. Just so welcoming, would do anything for you, made sure you feel comfortable, and and like you said, it's. They were a part of the team without actually having a title as a part of the team. And I think the world, all three of those guys, um, they've come over to Canada to visit. I actually, when I was playing in Cardiff, one of my friends, my best buddy, uh, Brock, came over with his father because his father was from Wales. And and they met the George brothers and they ended up coming here and partying. And and it's been kind of a lifelong connection. And it's been nice that we've been able to to stay in touch and, and keep that friendship. Um. Yeah, because when uh, we decided we were going to do this tonight, I I sent uh, Steve uh, a message and just because I I knew he knew you, um, and he just mentioned that when he came over to Canada, uh, you came to pick him up at a limo. Yeah, we we came and got him in a limo. It was uh, it was crazy. We had we had the limo stacked with beer and. We had we tried to put a pretty big show on for the boys, so uh, I think they enjoyed their time in Canada, or at least I hope they did. And and that was the least I could do for them, um, for all they did for me in, in Wales. And like I said before, I, I think the world of them, and and they're just such unbelievably good people. That the, they really are. Like the thing I find the most interesting about them is when you do get to have a night out with them, like I never got to have that many because I had young kids, but like when I got a night out with them, it was a night to remember. Like they are just like, they're so funny together that they work the crowd. They work, you get Steve up dancing and, and Chris is working off of him and you, they just change the whole mood of everybody they're around you cannot be around them and be in a bad mood. No, that that's for sure. And I think half my problem in Cardiff was I had more nights out with them than I didn't have nights in. So <laughs> I, uh, I definitely pushed the envelope a little bit there while I was in Cardiff and they're probably partying a little too hard, but um, like you said, they just feed off each other. They're, they're so funny. And it, it honestly made me giggle like a little kid every time I was around them. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Yeah, no, I'm thankful to uh, the friendship I had with them. And uh, yeah, they even made the trip to Wally night when I got to go back. They literally drove to the game. They weren't living around the area. Um, they were, I think they drove a couple hours to the game and they only got to stay for two periods. And then, yeah, we, we got in the bathroom together and um, yeah, maybe I'll post the picture we took in the bathroom together and be spray painted showing them because I hadn't got into the crowd and taken my top off yet. Um, and I was just showing them what the pregame speech looked like uh, before I had really decided what I was going to do. But uh, they're just special people. And they just you're, like they just make it a family feel in Cardiff. And I tell you, they are as big a part of that organization as anybody else, like any player, anybody. So anyways, we better, I, yeah, better, couldn't better agree more on. with you on that one. Yeah. We'll move on from the George brothers. Yeah. Well, I, I could, I could talk about them all day though, but here we go. So you're from Stratford, which was our biggest rival 
um, in junior B for me, but can you give me a rundown of your minor hockey journey and then uh, your Stratford days, which is the best junior hockey arena in the world, I think. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been to quite a few arenas, quite a few leagues, and I've, I've yet to find an arena like the Stratford-William Allman. It's, uh, it's a pretty special rink. Uh, growing up here in Stratford, I mean, it's my, my dream when I was young wasn't to play in the NHL. It was always to play on the Stratford Cullitans, the Junior B. I mean, it was a big, big show in town every Friday night. You have a full arena. Uh, everyone from town would go. It's just a little small town. So uh, growing up, I played my minor hockey here from minor novice all the way up to midget. It was just uh, a double A program, never played triple A or anything like that. And then uh, when I was 14, I uh, was lucky enough to make the junior B team. Uh, we, we ended up winning a Sutherland cup that year. And then the following year, um, my 15 year old year and, and draft year into the OHL, I, I played again on the team. And uh, again, we won a Sutherland cup championship. So um, being from Stratford and being able to win two Sutherland cup championships uh, was pretty special. Looking back at it uh, at the time, I mean, I was so young. I, I don't think I truly appreciated it. But having played pro for you know 13, 14 years now and and not winning anything and uh, I guess it kind of humbles you and and makes you realize how how lucky you were to win something uh, that early on in your career. I mean, mind you, it wasn't pro or it wasn't the Stanley Cup, but it was it was still a championship. And uh, the guys from that team I, I've still kept in touch with over the years. And there's a annual golf tournament every year I go to. And, and anytime I see the guys, it's, it's still the same laugh, smile, story. So it's, uh, it's a special bond you'll always have for your whole life. Um, wow. That uh, sounds like my, the other episode I did for me um, when my college roommate interviewed me and we had had too many uh, ales, but um, I won my first year in Elmira, the Sutherland Cup, and then the next year, when my last year, we won the Cherry Cup, which is the league, but then we lost Game 7 of the Sutherland Cup, and the difference of winning and losing is, like you said, you're staying in contact with all those people. Um, we have a WhatsApp group now, because it's our 20-year anniversary of our Sutherland Cup, and at, like you said... It's all the same laughs. Everybody's still the same people. We're just older. But the team that lost in game seven next year when it's their 20 anniversary year anniversary, I don't think anybody's putting together a WhatsApp group. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, kind of a cliche in, in the way that they say, you know, teams that win together always stay together. But uh, it couldn't be more true. I've, I've played on numerous teams throughout my pro career and um never won a championship and, and never really had a, a group um, like, like I did with the Cullitans. It's kind of, everyone's gone their own directions. Everyone has their own families doing their own thing, but there'll always be that special bond. So there's, there's definitely something to be said for, for winning a championship and, and what the guys go through together in, in order to win that. So I was a lot younger than all the guys at the time. So uh, they treated me a little, little bit differently, but, but now that I'm, you know, older, it's, it's the same stuff. We can look back and, and laugh on everything. Uh, when you say like you were younger and they treated you differently, like starting this podcast, it's kind of brought mainly the teams I won championships with. Cause that's who I've brought on so far, um, but it brings those teams together and everybody starts talking again. And it's weird for me because through the text messages, 
and through the conversations I have with different people is based on what age you are at and how old you are and where you're at in your career, you have a different relationship with people on the team. You're a different person on the team. You act differently in the room. Do you know what I mean? Oh, for sure. I mean, my, my first year I split time with the, the midget team and the junior B team. I was 14 years old. There was guys on my team that were 21. You're not, you're not going to hang out with a 14 year old when you're, when you're 21 guys get in trouble for that. So, um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was definitely different in that aspect, but at the same time, there was uh, a group of guys from Stratford that I had grown up playing with, or if not playing with them, knew them and, and they were always great to me. And, uh, and not that the guys were, they're bad to me or anything, but hockey, you know, 20 years ago was a lot different than it is now. Of course there was, you know, hazing and, and all that stuff, but, but at the time it was fun. And at a time it was, it was just a way of, I guess, kind of paying your dues and, and putting your time in and there was no harm or no foul. And I knew it was fun. I knew they didn't really hate me. So um, it was a different time, different period in, in history. And uh, I don't know, I kind of miss that part now, to be honest with you. I totally agree. I still remember our uh, Elmira Shirkin rookie party, my rookie party at the uh, Weidman household, Dale Weidman's household, and uh, he was the captain. And, uh, you know, it, it's not – it wouldn't be acceptable now. However, we were all laughing about it the night it happened. Well, some guys that maybe had drank before weren't laughing about it, but, like – it was the way it was and everybody was okay with it. And that's the way hockey was. And you're right. I miss the way hockey used to be watching hockey. Now is I honestly, since I started this podcast, I have not watched an NHL game once. No, I, I, I can't watch it either. To be honest with you, it's, it's just completely different. And even now that I'm a little bit older on teams and, and seeing some of these young guys that, that come on to teams that I've been on, it's, they're just a, a different breed that I feel like they're, so entitled to things, which is fine. Uh, I'm not a dinosaur. I'm able to adapt to, to whatever's thrown on me. That's no problem. But um, there's just no sense of needing to work for, for what you earn. I feel like things are just handed to people now. And the way it was, you used to have to you know work for your ice time. You needed to work for your time on the power play, on the penalty kill, whatever it was. And, and through that, you, you know not only grew as a person, but you grew as a player. If you're just thrown in a situation where you're, you know, number one PP, number one PK, number one first line, you, you never have to work for anything. You don't know anything about adversity. You don't know anything about challenge. And I think that part of the game's kind of missing. I, I don't care that there's, you know, no rough and tumble stuff anymore. I, I mean, I don't watch hockey for the sole purpose of watching a fight or a big hockey, a uh, big hit. So that part doesn't bother me. It's just a, a completely different breed of game. And to be honest, it, doesn't interest me that much if, if i wanted to watch hockey like this I'd, I'd tune into the khl and watch guys that are so skilled on a on a bigger sheet of ice and probably be just as happy to be honest with you yeah i i i agree i <laughs> i'm not interested in it um i just i thought hockey was fun to play um i don't think it's as fun to watch but like i get the fan side of it, like people that haven't got to play it as much. I, I don't know. I just, 
it, it, it always kind of hurts, right? Especially for me. Well, for you, you haven't got to play in what over a year, right? And yeah, for close to a year. For, and like, we may as well get into that real quick here before we get into the rest. This is going to be a long episode, bud. You might miss hockey tonight. Uh, That's all right. Sorry, man. This is, you got a lot to talk about with your career. Uh, where, God, where was I? Oh, <laughs> you haven't played in a year. But like, for me, I haven't, I haven't got to be around the guys and play hockey. Like, I guess since I was cut from the Ripley Wolves, but like, you haven't got to play through all this COVID and stuff, and now you're just at home. So, like, how's that been? Like, I know you're supposed to go play hockey tonight with your buddies, but, like, that's not, like, going to play hockey like you're used to. Yeah, no, it's uh, – I mean, with this COVID stuff, obviously it impacted everyone's life in a different way, whether it was, you know, having to spend more time at home, some people losing employment, uh, whatever the case. And uh, for me – and my family, my wife was pregnant at the time. Uh, I had a contract to go back to Europe. Uh, my wife didn't feel comfortable having the baby in Europe with all the stuff going on with COVID. And I completely supported that. And um, I was going to go over on my own in, in January or even a little bit later if I could. And uh, it just got to a point where it, it wasn't worth it to me. I got two awesome boys at home now. And um, for me to leave them and, and go play and be on my own, it, it wasn't worth it. Uh, I think uh, there's times in life where you have to sacrifice things. And me being here and getting to spend more time with my wife and my kids, um, you know, not every day is easy because there's a certain routine that I'm used to that I don't don't have now. But at the same time, I'm, I'm getting time with my family that I would have never got before. So uh, I'm grateful for that. That's for sure. Yeah, like uh, I couldn't I couldn't imagine being a hockey player uh through this time and how difficult it must be um but like i'm thankful for the time i've got to spend with my kids through this but like yeah you're right as a hockey player you're not used to being at home you're not used to being in canada you used to you're used to being there only for two months to just see a few friends while you're training and then you leave again yeah, for sure. I, I think the biggest adjustment's probably been the routine. Um, I mean, I get up early every every morning with my oldest son and, you know, we have our coffee, do our thing. And then it's kind of, OK, what am I going to do to to fill the day or, um, you know, just filling in blanks throughout the day. Whereas if it's a hockey season, you're up, eat breakfast, go to the rink, go have lunch. And then it's OK, I'm going to do this with my wife. I'm going to do this with my kids. We're going to go to the zoo. We're going to go to the aquarium, you know, whatever the case. And then we're going to go for dinner after we're going to get a babysitter. We're going to have some drinks, go to a nice place, what, whatever the case. But um, now it's kind of just filling in time. And, and I think that's been the hardest part um, to be honest with you. And uh, followed with the fact that I don't know if I, if I even want to play anymore. So um, I'm, I'm kind of in between a rock and a hard place because I don't, I don't want to look for a job and then, you know, get a job. And, and the next thing I know, I'm telling my boss, Hey, I'm taking off in a month to go to Europe. So, um, that, that part of it's hard, but like I said previously, uh, I'm fortunate for the time I I've been able to spend with my boys and my wife. Um, yeah. Filling in the blanks in a day is, uh, <clears throat> well, I guess you've kind of been living what it's like when, but you're not really in the same stage or mindset but like for me, like my knee was done and I'm, it's just over. And then you come back to Canada and 
like you have an American wife that can't work in Canada. You got two little kids and you have no work experience. And you're like, holy moly, life just got very real, very fast. And being a hockey player was way more fun. And then all of a sudden you have a lot of space in the day and you got kids at home and you're like, you need a purpose. You need a reason to get up and go and do something. And um, thankfully I found that after a bit with my job and uh, yeah, now with this podcast, I even have more of that purpose, but like you got to find, you got to find that reason to like, and it's hard, man, when you're done hockey and you don't know what's next and you don't know what you're doing, man, that's what this podcast is really kind of about because a lot of my friends are there right now. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. There's uh, there's so much uncertainty and, you know, that empty space in the day that you do have. Maybe your mind's running a little wild now. What am I going to do? You know, is this right for me? Is that right for my family? And just so many questions you ask yourself. And well, so some days I do it and drive myself crazy. So other days I'm, I'm completely normal. So, uh, you know, I have my good days and bad days, just like everyone else, but, uh, it, it has been a major adjustment. And to be honest with you, it's been a bit of an eye opener, um, for when I do decide to actually officially retire, um, as to, I guess, setting up a, a plan of, you know, what I want to do after hockey, you know, I, of course, I have ideas or, or thoughts about what I want to do, but actually get the ball rolling on it. Because like you said, when it stops, it stops and, and life gets real in a hurry, whether you need to work because of financial reasons or you need to work to stay sane, to, to stay sane, sorry. Um, the, it, it's different for everyone. And uh, nonetheless, it's, it's real for everyone. Oh. Yeah, we're getting way too deep. <laughs> I, you know what? I thought when you were coming on and we were chatting before, this was going to be like the funnest one yet. And this has been the, this has, this, this has been the real, this has been the realest one yet, I guess. So maybe I need to start getting funny then and get off, get off the real train. No, 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 no. You, you know what? That's where you're at. And that's what this pod's about is, is, is talking this stuff out because like, Man, I've been there, and dude, with the 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 flight home from Cardiff, when uh, pigs, you know, him yep. and him and I believe it was Dees drive us to uh, this hotel we're staying at by the airport we're flying out of. They drive us there two hours away. We all jump in the van together, and like we have how like nine hockey bags to fly home to Canada. And like uh, you, it's like I, I, I went to Europe with a duffel bag and a hockey bag. And then I came back with nine hockey bags, two children and a wife. And I was like, <laughs> holy crap. Like, and now I get back to Canada after my daughter threw up on me the entire plane ride from the UK to Canada, she threw up on me the entire time um, at the back of the plane in the stewardess seat, which was very nice to give me a seat. It, it was nice that we were away from everybody. But then you land and you're like, well, I have all this stuff now. 
I have no job and my knee's gone and I can't play hockey. So welcome to the real world. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it hits you pretty quick. And uh, I can relate to you on going to Europe with a hockey bag and a, a suitcase and coming home with a wife and two kids. It, uh, it does get real and in, in a hurry. And, uh, you know, the way I acted when I was 24 is a lot different than the way I act today. So uh, I don't regret anything I did when I was young. I mean, I had so much fun. I learned so much stuff. And uh, as crazy as it sounds, I you know, learned lessons from my mistakes that, you know, matured me and, and made me who I am today. So uh, I lived my best life. I had so much fun when I was young. And uh, now I have no regrets. And I'm at a place where I, I have a wonderful wife and, and two wonderful kids. And I don't have to worry about what if, what if, what if. I've, I've done so much stuff that uh, I'm happy and I'm at peace of mind with, with where my life's at. Yeah, man, I will. Whatever you decide to do moving forward, I, I wish you nothing but success. But like, dude, we haven't even like started in the podcast yet. We've gotten too deep. So now we it's have like a to Joe, give... Joe Rogan podcast. Apparently, like, yeah. It's so, hard, yeah. Yeah. So good luck. Good luck getting to your hockey there at uh, <laughs> in 45 minutes there. Good luck. So um, you played for the Stratford College. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, so anyways, <laughs> this is funny how we haven't even talked about anything I've written on the list. But uh, There's about like 25 teams we've probably got to go through too. Well, should we just go to the highlights here then if you got to play hockey? like how No, no, I no, 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 no. I, I, don't, I don't need to play that bad to be honest with you. It's just, it's just a group of buddies I play with every Thursday night, have a couple beers and uh, just get out and exercise for an hour, blow some steam off. So if you want to stay here and chat, I'm, I'm more than happy to do so. <laughs> well, it's, up, it's completely up to you, but I got all these notes down and uh, the next one I had is – you uh, you go from the Stratford Coltons and two Southern Cups, which I believe happened, I guess, in the middle of puberty, because then you still got <laughs> five years of the OHL after you've already won two Southern Cups. How does that work? But anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I played when I was 14 and 15 and then uh, was drafted to Sudbury my 15 year old year and played uh, four years in the OHL. So. That was, I think they've changed the rules now. I don't even think you can be 14, let alone, or 15, let alone 14 to, to play in the league. So I guess you're, I hit pu puberty early. You were, so sorry, they changed the rules to not play junior B at 14? Yeah, I don't think you're allowed to now. Like I got drafted to the OHL out of junior B. I don't think that's allowed anymore. And I was is, playing. Is that, when I, is that why the junior B league in our areas is, um, is succeeding so well in getting scholarships and everything is because yeah. they, don't, they don't let talented players play in their league or should we not open up this can of worms here and continue on with your career well i don't know if you want to call me talented but they did let me play when i was young so maybe maybe they <laughs> learned from the mistake with me i don't know what it is okay okay all right so you go to sudbury and um you had a good career like you're drafted to Calgary, right? Seventh yep. round. Yep. Uh, what year does that happen? And how, like, what what type of role oh, are you playing at Sudbury? So when I got there, um, I was you know fresh off junior B. Uh, I definitely had a lot to learn. Still, I mean, you go from playing junior B to the OHL. It was it was still a huge jump. Uh, I remember getting there and and seeing some of the players and being like, holy shit, you know, like I got a lot of work to do. So uh, my first year, I was pretty much played on the fourth line the, the whole year and 
uh, went into the coach's office, Mike Felino, uh, my, my most favorite coach uh, I've had throughout my career, just an unbelievable guy and an unbelievable coach. And I remember going in the office, my, my first year and saying, you know, Mike, what do I got to do to stay in the lineup every night? And he just said, do something that no one else on the fourth line does. And uh, my centerman and then right winger at the time, they didn't fight or, or do anything or play rough and tumble. And I thought, well, fuck, I'm 15, 16 years old. Might as well get my nose dirty. So I spent a year in the OHL just getting the absolute shit kicked out of me night in and, and night out. I think I fought 20 times and I don't know if I won one fight. Uh, then the next year I came back and, and Mike gave me a bigger role with the team. Uh, I think I was, you know, first or second line guy and uh, started producing more, obviously, offensively with with more ice time and more responsibility. And I was picked up by uh, Calgary, a late round pick. And then the next year kind of came into my own uh, in the league as a as a power forward. Uh, I think I scored. I don't I don't know if I scored 20 goals. If, if I didn't, I was was pretty damn close. And. Uh, we went to the conference finals that year. And, and then the following year, I was traded to uh, Sarnia, where I got a chance to play with Steven, Steven Stamkos and um, rode his coattails for a year. So, um, you know, I went into the OHL as a, as a guy that had to work for everything I got. that literally had to fight for, for my life. And uh, because of fighting and hockey, it opened up doors for me where I was able to put my time in and, and show coach I was – willing to do this. And, and in turn, he gave me ice time and, and gave me a chance to play with better players and, and open up some room for them. And, uh, you know, I was able to score goals and, and put some points on the board. And I think by the time I left uh, my last year junior, I was a, a point of game player. So I, I definitely proved a lot as a player throughout four years. Well, for a player like me, who was like legit, the little guy that had to score to keep a job, I... Um, when I was young, I, I didn't really like get everything about hockey and what you need on a line. And like, you know, you're like, Oh, well, that guy's really good. I want to play with him. But like, once you get into pro and you realize what a line needs, like every line needs a guy that's going to go in front of the net. That's going to go get that puck on the four check. And it sounds like you're probably that guy. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, uh, when I played in the American League, I think I turned into a little bit more of a meatball than I than I probably should have. But in junior, yeah, I was definitely a guy that I went to the dirty areas. I, I was hard on the floor check, always finishing checks and opening up room for, for skilled guys like yourself. I mean, it's amazing what an extra second a, a time for a guy like you in the slot does, you know? So um, I was able to do that and, and was lucky enough that I could make a play or I could score if, if I was given a chance, you know, in the slot. I mean, a lot of my goals came from tips, deflections, rebounds, stuff like that. I mean, I wasn't stupid. I knew the type of player I was. I knew I wasn't going to dangle through everyone and, and go top corner or anything like that. So um, I, I definitely knew what my role was. I knew what I had to do to succeed. And I was lucky enough in, in junior to have coaches that, that believed in me and, and put me in situations that allowed me to achieve. So here's the question then, because I saw you started pro with somebody that didn't seem like Calgary's farm team. So how do you go from seventh round pick to them to, I, it seemed like maybe a New York Rangers. I can't remember. I was looking, but it seemed like not a Calgary farm team. Yeah. So Calgary offered me uh, just a qualifying 
offer, um, which was no signing bonus and just minimum uh, American League salary, minimum NHL salary. I just put up a point a game in, in junior. It was a heavyweight heavyweight of the league. I mean, I was fighting everyone, and uh, my agent thought that if I didn't sign, I'd either get redrafted or or have a chance of signing elsewhere. So I didn't sign the contract. Ended up signing a PTO with Columbus, went to their main camp, did well, played in a bunch of exhibition games, uh, played with Nick, Nikolai Filatov and Jake Borchuk, actually, on a line, did, did really well with them. Uh, they released a, a press release that went on their website that, that was saying they released me from their PTO. And when they released that, uh, New York's GM uh, called my agent and said they wanted to offer me a contract. So they offered me a three-year entry-level deal with signing bonus and everything like that. And um, obviously it was a no-brainer, 20 years old, uh, getting, getting a chance to sign an NHL contract. So uh, signed with New York and, and went right to Hartford. And yeah. So Calgary didn't sign you at, or they're sorry, they qualified you. So then you end up just on a PTO and you get a three-year deal off of PTO. Yeah, with a completely different organization. It was it was crazy how it worked out. So uh, because I didn't sign the qualifying offer from Calgary, I went back into the draft. I don't know if the rules are the same now as they were, you know, 15 years ago. Things could be different now, but went back into the draft, didn't get drafted by anyone. Uh, went to Columbus on a on a PTO and and ended up signing a three year entry level deal with New York. So it was it was definitely crazy how it worked out, but uh, it ended up working out in the end. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. No kidding. That's uh, a pretty wild story, actually. Um, that's not on the notes here because um, I got for the next one. So you go from that because we got to keep moving here. Um, you got puck drop soon. Just kidding. You're not going to make it. Uh, 300 plus PIMS in 2010-11 for the Connecticut Whale in the AHL. And for me, I played in the HL for very minimal games. I believe I played 19 games, zero points, and about a minus seven with one fight. <laughs> um, but um, 300 penalty minutes in the AHL, what type of mutants are you fighting and what is your daily life like? Because I've lived with fighters and – dude, that can't be that much fun. No, it wasn't great to be honest with you. So, uh, I mean, I went to training camp in New York and at the time it was guys like Chris Drury, uh, Marion Gabrick, uh, Ryan Callahan, just, just to name a few. So, I mean, I looked at the top six, well, okay, you're not making that. And then go to the third line, not going to make that. Okay. Fourth line. What are you going to do to play on the fourth line? 10 years ago in the NHL, you got to be able to fight and, and hit and skate well. So, uh, I went to the minors thinking if I'm going to make the NHL, I'm going to be a complete pest, a complete rat. So with that, uh, you're obviously not making too many friends on the other team. And, uh, I just played a game where I was running my mouth all game. I was hitting everyone. I, I didn't care if it was dirty, if it was clean, I would, I would fight. I mean, I wasn't fighting the super heavies at this time. Super heavy was, you know, six, eight, 280 pounds. I'm not a big guy. I'm, six foot maybe 210 pounds i was I'd, I'd go into bridgeport on a on a sunday and fight a guy like mike haley who's a heavyweight in the nhl now but 10 years ago that that guy was like that, that was a guy i wanted to fight because i didn't want to get my head taken off you know what i mean so 
it, it's crazy how far the games come and and kind of how they push that out of the way. But uh, that was just kind of the style I thought I had to play. And and a guy I grew up not grew up, but a guy I played with in Sudbury always said, you know, if you're going to do something, make sure you do it the best you can. So. I thought, you know, what the fuck, might as well just floor it, and I'm going to try to get as many pims, as many fights as I can. And I think that year I had uh, 300 penalty minutes. I, I ended up getting surgery on my hip uh, with, like, 20 games left. I, I was trying to get, like, 400 penalty minutes and, and 40 fights. I think I ended up having, I don't know, like somewhere between 30 and, and 35 fights in, in one year. And, uh, I mean, that was a lot of fighting. Um, so... <clears throat> When you're fighting that much, um, and like, cause I learned very quickly in pro when you, like, when you said, when you hit someone dirty, you just do it. But like when I did like, cause I was in college and I did a couple dirty things out of college. And then I realized it doesn't matter who you are. The big guy is coming to fight you. So like when you would do dirty things, you'd have to have the six foot eight two seventy guy coming at you. Yeah, I mean, sometimes that did happen where you, where you end up fighting a guy you don't really want to fight at all and uh, you either hang on for dear life or, you know, throw as hard as you can, as fast as you can for a little bit or or just get the absolute shit kicked out of you. So it was one of those three. And, I mean, I never went out with the intention to, to try to hurt someone or try to do something. But at the same time, I, I played a style of game where I was going 100 miles an hour all the time. So uh, if, if you turned your back on me at the last second, I would – there was no way I was going to stop. So obviously, you know, some stuff that's deemed as dirty was going to happen. I don't think in the, the three years on my entry level deal, I was ever suspended once. So I, I, I'm not sitting here saying I, I was, you know, horrible and, and doing God awful things, but I also wasn't a saint. And uh, I, I knew what I had to do to get to the NHL. And, and I tried to do it every single night. I, I, I respect that. Totally. Like I totally respect that, that you, would put up 300 penalty minutes in the AHL to try and make it because when I went to the AHL and I got there out of college and they put me on the fourth line and like you sit there all game and then they finally put you out with the fighter. You're like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, am I supposed to play like I'm supposed to play? Like I would, I actually decided, I'm like, well, if this is what I'm doing, if I'm on the fourth line, then I better run around and start hitting people and then I even tried to grab, I grabbed a guy and like fought him and uh, like, what, like, that's not me, but like I was doing it just because that's what it seemed like I had to do because I was on the fourth line. But like, um, like for you, it would have been way more natural for me, but okay, we got to move on now because this is my favorite seasons of your resume because from uh, a league I have been cut from, the WOAA, um, <laughs> you played for the Milverton four-wheel drives the same year you played in the East Coast, the AHL, and for the Cardiff Devils. So how does that happen in 2012-13? We'll get into the next season next. <laughs> So that was the year the uh, the NHL lockout actually, and my my coach Mike Felino from Junior was coaching in uh, Chicago at the time, and we had spoke over the summer, and and he said he'd like me to come play in Chicago, obviously the American League team, not the uh, not the Blackhawks, and uh, I had planned on doing that, and then the lockout happened, 
you know, it was, it was a complete freeze for players. Guys on entry level deals were going to Chicago. Um, I basically, I didn't have a hope in hell in playing. So uh, I signed with Cardiff, went over there, did my thing. Uh, to be honest, looking back on it, from a hockey standpoint, I wish I had never done it just because in my mind, I, I, I wasn't ready to do it. I, you know, I still had that fire. I still had that drive. I still thought, you know what, if I fight and, and do what I need to do in North America, I can probably uh, get a cup of coffee in the, the NHL. And I went to Cardiff and it was so much different from the American league. I mean, it wasn't as professional and I'm not saying anything bad about Cardiff because I absolutely love my time there. It was just so different from, from what I was used to. It was hard for me to get into a mindset and a mentality where I could give it a hundred percent. And, and I just turned into to more of a clown and a circus act. And I did a hockey player and it got to a point where, where I wasn't having any fun anymore. I was, I was probably a little bit homesick and uh, I left and went, my buddies called me and asked if I wanted to play with, on the, on their senior A team in Melverton. And I did that for two games and uh, I spoke to Mike Foligno and, and he said, you know what, go play in the East coast league for, for a couple of games and uh, you can sign a contract with Chicago. So I went, uh, I think I went to Colorado, right? I, I think know. that's what, yeah, I think I went to Colorado and I uh, was there for, I don't know, a couple of weeks and, and then was in Chicago for the rest of the year. So uh, it was definitely a whirlwind year and, and the next year wasn't any better, but uh, it was a confusing time in, in my life. And uh, that is what it is. Right. Um, so I don't want to, cause I didn't realize that's how it went. I had no clue. I didn't know which team was first and last and in the middle. My, my vision was that you were waiting for a contract and played like a game or two with Milverton while you were waiting. I didn't realize you went to Cardiff and left and then, decided, yeah. then decided to lace them up for the four wheel drives, which is probably the best hockey name in hockey is the Milverton four wheel drives. Do you not agree? Hey, I mean, it's pretty good. It doesn't get any more rural than that, does it? Well, they're right next door to one of my favorite high school towns, Linwood, Ontario. But anyways, um, so your time in Cardiff, we can't just gloss over that because I didn't realize that it didn't work out for you. But like the other thing is, is you were part of the, the ownership group and the way it was ran before I got there. The year I got there, it was new ownership, new people. And I only heard horror stories of what it was like before. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Sorry. I sort of cut you off. I'll let you finish. No, go ahead. I, I was just, I, I, that that's not on my notes, but like, that is what the, what's come up is like the difference is like, what was it like in Cardiff then? Yeah. I, I mean, you played in the American league and, yeah, it's not the NHL, but at the same time, if, if there's something you want, you're going to get it. I mean, you're you're treated pretty well. You know, you're not staying at the Ritz-Carlton or, or anything like that. But, I mean, this was with the New York Rangers organization who has infinite amount of money. So it was uh, maybe a little bit different than where, where you played. I'm sure every American League team is different. But uh, I was pretty spoiled in Hartford and uh, went from that to, you know, going to a place where we were playing in a tent like literally a tent my the dressing room was you know something like I wouldn't even be like a local dressing room it, it, it just had that feel where it wasn't pro hockey for me and 
to be honest with you, that's that's no one's fault of my own that I didn't I didn't probably do the the right research. And um, I think I should have went there with the mindset of you know what I want to get back to to being the player I was in junior, the the guy that fights and but at the same time can can score and can tribute offensively defensively kind of all you're all around player I guess and and instead I was just kind of fuck hockey in, in I guess lame terms and uh so was what just age a, is this? I would have been 24 probably and I, I had kind of lost my passion kind of lost my drive and uh, I, I was just a clown like it I don't know. It's run, running on uh, my mouth on, on Twitter, you know, doing stupid shit on the ice, not really playing hockey. And, and to be honest, not really caring about hockey. So uh, there was definitely, definitely looking back on it. I wish I had never gone there. And, and like I said before, not because I didn't enjoy my time there or because people were rude to me or, or anything like that. It's, it's all on my own. So I just feel like for a fan base, that's so loyal. I didn't give them all I had and, and I truly wish I would have. So that's my regret in it, I guess. Okay. Well, like, like I've said in the past, these podcasts go completely different than I envisioned them in my head because I thought Cardiff was a great time because I had uh, reached out to the George brothers and Batchy, um, who oh yeah yeah no 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 I, I don't I don't want to give you the the no, wrong I idea that I, 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 I didn't have a fun like away from the rank oh my god like I, I had the time of my life you know what I mean and it, it, I I don't want this to be a me shitting on Cardiff because that's not the case I I thoroughly enjoyed my time there I truly truly enjoyed the people there I just didn't give my hundred percent and I feel bad for the loyal fan base that I didn't give them all I had. No, and that's not where I was going with that at all. It was more, um, <laughs> like you said, like acting like a sideshow side is, uh, actually, Steve George sent me the picture of the line brawl that happened. Can you give me the story of the line brawl that is called, hold on, I have it here somewhere on my list. It's called the night of shame and i heard franny is throwing punches in the the lot the, the the handshaking line and i hear that you fought ben olsen 10 times and you fight him again so can you give me the story of that night yeah so i played benny uh in the american league when i, I don't know where he was in there in lowell or albany and we'd fought in the american league a couple times and he was over in coventry and and i was in cardiff uh i don't even know what the score of the game was i don't know if it was a dirty game i can't remember anything but uh we were doing the handshake and and after i look over and i see someone chirping franny and i'm like okay what the hell's going on and then i see benny big Benny Olsen flying over there and his gloves go flying. And I think, Oh shit. Like there's no one else on the ice that's going to deal with this other than me. So I grabbed him of course. And, and we have a fight and it was complete mayhem. Like imagine fighting being in a fight in a, in a, in a handshake, like number one, why are you handshaking in a pro hockey game after a game? It's, it's completely ridiculous. And number two, why are you fighting in the middle of a handshake? So uh, we fought, I got kicked off, went to the bench, came back, somehow ended up on the bench, throwing punches, 
it was a complete, complete disaster. Uh, it, it definitely was a night in shame, I guess, but I, I don't feel any shame for that. That, that was, you know, I, it, you can't disrespect a coach on the other team. You're going to throw punches at him or wave your stick at him. Uh, then, I mean, someone's going to have to fight or, or do whatever it is they do. And, and I think the world of Franny, he's a, he's an awesome guy. And, and looking back on it, I would have done the same thing hundred times over. Um, when I saw the picture, when Steve George sent me the, the front page of the newspaper and it said night of shame and I see the bench and I see the players and I see the fans hanging over at the big blue tent and man, it brought back so many memories of like that place. There was some weird stuff that could happen in that arena, but like I could totally see how it could happen, and I could totally see Franny probably starting it. But um, yeah, I'm I'm sure he did, and I got my ass kicked sticking up for Franny, so he might owe me a couple beers now. Well, you would think so. So okay, the, the other thing about Cardiff, other than that game, is uh, that you. I guess they call him now the Don Cherry of uh, Canadian hockey because of spitting chicklets. You were roommates with Biz Nasty, but the only reason I know that is because I was texting with Batchy today. Um, that little little dandy probably learned a few things from you two, eh? Oh, my God. I feel so sorry for him. He was... I don't know. He would have been like 19 or 20 probably when we were living with him. It was me and Biz. And uh, to say we were going out and, and painting the town would be an understatement. And we're dragging Batchy into it as, as much as we could. And at the age, he was, he was such a teddy bear. I mean, he was huge. He was jacked, but he was, you know, he was scared. He, he hadn't come out of his shell yet. So uh, we were trying to pull him out of his shell you know slowly and we drag him out the odd time he'd have a couple beers and start chatting and wrestling with you or whatever so uh batchy's a great guy i i think the world of him and, and you know it was nice living with paul I'd, I'd played against him in the american league and uh it was nice to be able to uh i guess party with him and, and have some fun right so you're you're in europe you're there for your first time you you i didn't have a girlfriend my my family's so far away uh, it was nice to kind of have that release where you can go out and, and have some fun and, and not worry about real life, I guess. So uh, we definitely had our, our fair share of fun in, in Cardiff. We did, we did a lot of stuff. It was, uh, it was good times. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it's all like you, we talked about is what age you are on what team and where you're at. Like when I was in Cardiff, I would have had a completely different experience than you fellas, but I saw how much fun the guys would have. Like for you guys, when the ownership and the team wasn't that good, um, Cardiff was still that much fun. Imagine it with a really good team and guys make money, right? Oh yeah. I mean, uh, like it was, probably right I, I mean i loved my time in budapest and i love my time in, in the alps and in, in italy but as far as cities go it's it's one of my favorite cities i've ever played in it's incredible the people are so polite um i mean you can sit down and have a beer at a random bar and, and have a hour conversation with someone you never met it's uh it's that type of town and it's so fun the fan base is so loyal 
Um, yeah, we didn't have a great team. Yeah, the ownership wasn't great. But all that aside, uh, I, I did thoroughly enjoy my time in, in Cardiff. I, I liked it a lot. It just, you know, I liked my time away from the rink more than I did at the rink, which isn't a good thing when you're a hockey player, right? Yeah, definitely. That's not a key to success. Um, no. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that's that year. Um, and we had to get into the Cardiff scene there um, just because that's kind of our link year um but the next year you go from so you start in cardiff then you play for the four-wheel drives can't stress that enough the echl the ahl and then in 2013-14 you get a contract in the swedish elite league uh how does that happen because i sure would want one yeah no it was uh so my agent had a uh a camp every year in, in LA and the coach that was running the camp was a, was a coach from the Swedish elite team, Ferry Uh I was out there skating and, and they had asked my agent, you know, who is this guy? And um, my agent obviously told them. And, and when I left the camp, I got an email uh, from my agent saying, Hey, would you be interested in, in going to Sweden? I said, yeah, of course. Like I'll, I'll go play in the Al Svetskin. And he said, no, no, this is a Swedish elite league. I said, yeah, of course I'm going to play, you know, but what's the deal? You know, I, I had, I don't know, maybe five, six points in, in 20 American League games the year before. I said, obviously, um, I'm not going there to play power play. We're like, what's wrong? And he said the year prior, they had been pushed around in playoffs and, and they needed a guy that could play, um, but also had that physical presence. So um, I was in a situation where I guess my role fit exactly how they wanted um i went there played i don't know for two three months uh, the team didn't do all that well the general manager that brought me in was fired and when the new gm came in uh i got released i yeah so here's another story so we were playing uh in vequa and one of our older guys one of nhl experienced guy a swedish guy he, I had sat on the bench the whole game. Like the writing was on the wall for me. I, I knew it was probably near the end. And uh, I'd sat on the bench all game and he got slew footed at the end of the game. And I jumped the boards to go fight the guy who was whoever slew footed him. And I mean, that's a huge no, no in Sweden. Right. So yeah. uh, after that game, I, I, I don't even think I got suspended because I just got I fired, I guess. So, I mean, I was bought out of my contract. Um that league is unbelievable. I mean, it's so skilled, so professional. Uh, I played NHL preseason games and I, I truly believe it's comparable to the skill level and, uh, you know, the, the way the players play They're they're not as hard on the puck. Uh, it, it's not as physically demanding, but the skill set was unbelievable. The way these guys train unbelievable, uh, just nice to, to go to a country and, and see the way these guys train and, and how they do things. And I was fortunate enough to be in the right spot, I guess, at the right place for the right team needing, needing my type of player. So uh, that was definitely a cool experience. Didn't go the way I wanted, but what can you do, right? Well, as soon as a team brings in a new guy, they want to bring in their own people and, the different visions just aren't the same, right? That's just what happens. But um, I 
yeah when i saw you got that contract i was like wow like that's that's awesome like that's so but you also other than that in that same year you go back to the milverton four-wheel drives and then to milan italy so that's a strange year too right yeah, really strange. I mean, I had to make my pit stop off over in uh, Milverton, have a couple <laughs> cu- couple beers at the Blue Line Club and be on my way again, right? So, uh, yeah, no, I, I came home. I I had been fired some, somewhere around Christmas. I hadn't been home for Christmas in a while. So instead of staying over in Europe and trying to find a job, I, I came home and uh, was around my family and friends for Christmas and then uh, ended up signing in Milan. So Milan was supposed to join the KHL uh, the following year through my father, I have, uh, my Italian passport. So I signed a, a contract in, in Milan thinking they were going to be in the KHL the following year, uh, with a KHL contract for the following year. And it never ended up panning out, but, uh, unbelievable. I mean, Milan as a city, incredible. The hockey was awesome. The fans were awesome. Uh, I really enjoyed my time in Milan going from the Swedish elite league to Italy, um, you know, probably could have stopped somewhere else in between, but at the time, uh, you know, the sounds of being able to play in the KHL obviously wouldn't have been able to be possible without me having an Italian passport, but uh, that was a scenario and, and that's what I went with and didn't work out. But at the same time, it was a, a great experience. Yeah, no, I like I, I totally get what your thinking is. Um, so any uh, recollection of uh, your matches for the four-wheel drives? Did you play any uh, – did you play the Ripley Wolves at all? No, we played oh, – fuck, I can't even remember who we played. I, I fought one game, though, and got kicked out. I, I don't – I think I played two games in one year, and I don't – I hit someone in the corner, and the next thing I know – Someone was chasing me with their gloves off. I was like, you have got to be fucking kidding me. There's five people in the stands in Milverton on a Friday night, and I have to fight. Like, this is insane. And so I, I fought against uh, – who's the team that won all the time? <laughs> they, Jay- they- it changes. It used to, and now it's Clinton. I don't know. Yeah, it was Clinton. It was Clinton. I fought against Clinton. So I fought some big D-man from Clinton. But I was like, this is fucking crazy, man. I'm coming out to to play with my buddies for, for an hour. Basically, like, having a couple beers on the car ride there, a couple beers in the room, like, thinking, you know what, go out there, maybe score a goal, maybe make a couple nice passes. And next thing you know, I got some fucking jackass chasing me with his gloves off. Oh. Looking to pick up a five on a Friday night uh-huh. in Overton in front of ten people. It's like you fucking kidding me, man. Well, and then uh, I beat the hell out of them too. It's like, come on. <laughs> well, I guess this is the time to tell the story because I've yeah. been trying to figure out when to tell this story. But uh, uh, I uh, decided to help the Ripley Wolves out, and I thought I would try and I would play for them. And, uh, uh, I started out with 15 goals in five games and uh, it was all good. And uh, where this podcast is uh, filmed is uh, where the same shed that the coach of the Ripley Wolves came and uh, wired himself just so I could play a hockey game that night, um, which I scored four goals in. So cheers, bud. Um, and then three years later, 
Um, so we played Clinton in the finals. I, uh, I went septic. Um, I had um, my elbow from trying to play against 20 something year olds when I'm a fat out of shape guy that sits at a desk all day. Um, I went septic and uh, I went to work with an IV in my arm for 16 days after we lost in the finals to Clinton. And I tell you, when you say I gave it my all, I gave it my all. Um, and uh, yeah, so we lost. And then the next season, um, I decide I'm going to get in shape again. And then, uh, and then I got cut via text message um, from the coach. So that's how my hockey career ended. But anyways. Um, Maybe you should have just played out of shape. Maybe I shouldn't have played hockey ever again when I stopped playing when people paid me. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good idea. I think I'm going to probably take that same, same approach when I'm done, to be honest. Um, you should never get to know the guys and never get to know them because then you really like them and you want to win with them and you want to help the, the town that your kid goes to school in and all that. But anyways, here we go. After that season, are you going to make it to hockey? You're not going to make it. No, no, I'm not going to. I just poured another beer. I'm here for the long haul now, pal. Buddy, we're not even there yet because we still got to talk about. um, So after that year, you go to the Steelers of the EIHL, which, in my opinion, is the last team in the league I would ever go to as a hockey player because they just fire people um, as soon as they have a couple bad games or they lose a couple games, somebody's going to get on the chopping block. Your thoughts? So I went there. Um, the coach I had in Cardiff, uh, Jared Adams, was actually the coach in Sheffield. Uh <laughs> Here's a crazy story, too. It seems like they just follow me around my whole career. There was a player on Sheffield who had been caught gambling on his own team the year prior in Denmark. He had a lengthy lengthy suspension, and he had five games remaining on that suspension uh, the following year. I had an Italian passport. Do you wanted a guy that, that had a European passport so he didn't have to file any paperwork? And basically what it was was just a five-game uh, fill-in uh, until his suspension was over. I had some stuff, personal stuff going on with my, my family. I had a sick family member, so I, I had told the team I was just going to stick around North America uh, and, and kind of do my thing here. So I went over there for, for five games. Um, I knew it was going to be five games. I, I had a great time while I was there. Um, didn't really care if I played, didn't, didn't, you know, care if I was on power play, didn't care if I was on penalty kill, but, but went there with the mindset that I was going to do all I could to, to help for five games. I, I had a great time there. They treated me well. Um, the city was nothing compared to Cardiff, but, but at the same time, uh, you know, it, it was professional and, and I was treated really well, to be honest. Yeah, that's, uh, well, I, that's not what I wanted to hear, but. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just giving you the truth. No, it's fine. It's the, you know, sometimes the truth hurts. Um, I, that's fine. It, it, yeah, it's all good. Uh, 
I'm glad that's how they treated you because I, that's how hockey players should be treated. And, uh, and sometimes like people get treated not properly, but, uh, the next one I got here on my notes is when you signed in Manchester and all the Cardiff devils got scared, but then the note I got from Batchy was that you were the first, one of the first ones to ever get Twitter going, like to ever get the teams fired up between each other, like the fans, the players, like everything. Yeah, that was my first time in Cardiff when I, that actually started. So um, anyway, yeah, my, my time in Manchester, uh, looking back on it, I probably wish I never had signed there. I, I didn't have a good experience there. Um, I felt like it was ran poorly. Uh, management wasn't all that great. Our, our coach was a, a super great guy, uh, Omar Pasha. Um, I think the world to him. I, I think he did all he could with with what he had. But uh, in, in terms of management, I didn't think it was managed well. And, and I don't think there was a, a true hockey mind uh, in the whole brass. And, and without that or without a vision of, of where you need to go, it's, it's hard for the guys to act professional. I mean, you can, you can want guys to be professional day in and day out, but when you're put in an atmosphere that isn't professional, it's, it's kind of hard to, to act professional. So, um, I mean, again, that is what it is, but yeah, as, as far as the Twitter thing goes, uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm the pioneer for the EIHL when it, when it comes to Twitter, but uh, I, I definitely did, you know, wind up teams, wind up fans, wind up opposing players. Uh, I had no filter when I played there. I had no care when I played there. Uh, I didn't care if I hurt opposing players' feelings, fans. You know, I, I was no filter. I was going to say whatever I wanted. And I don't know if people respected that. I don't know if they hated me so much. They they thrived off, you know, hating me or, or whatever it was. But uh I did what I did and, and didn't care about the repercussions, to be honest. It's, it's, it is an entertainment business, right? And like, when you do something like that, like it brings more fans into the seats. It brings more people to the game. And like, I personally think that's what hockey misses is that there isn't any battling. There isn't any, hatred there isn't any it's just skill it's just like who can play hockey the best and it's just I don't know but you know what I mean yeah I, I know exactly what you mean I, I mean I used to tweet something and there'd be 50 chaps from Coventry telling me you know this or that and look at their profile and they have three teeth and then 15 rolls of fat over their their stomach and they're, they're trying to tell me I'm ugly or I'm out of shape or I suck at hockey and it's like well you, you can't even probably walk 10 feet without getting short of breath so you know I mean I was just calling a, a spade a spade at the time and yeah I, I would say things to to wind up other teams and maybe it was a little bit of a show you know maybe it was me being the villain and and wanting to have people hate me but um I think now in hockey there's so much personality in, in hockey, especially with the older guys, you know, um, maybe this new crop, not so much, but I, I feel like hockey players are subjected to answers where if they, you ask them about a team, they're not going to say, Oh, you know, my experience there wasn't very good because they don't want to burn bridges or, 
they don't want to hurt feelings. And uh, I personally believe if, if you're honest, people are going to respect you for your honesty, whether they like it or not. So uh, I've always tried to be a guy that that's honest with my words, whether people liked hearing them or not, that was, that was up to them, but uh, it gave people, I guess, a base where they could stand behind me or they could absolutely hate me. There was no in between, I guess. Um, I, I mean, yeah, like I, I never got into Twitter until the day I showed up in Cardiff and then the GM's like, um, I really think this is a good platform for media and social attention and like getting fans to games. Like I want you guys on this, but you got to do this, this, and this. I never thought of having Twitter or any of the crap, but then when I did it in Cardiff, then all of a sudden the fans were into it. I was like, Oh, this is, this is, this is kind of cool. Like this is, this is nice. Like, you, you, you write something and they're into it, but like, um, it's just, I don't know. Like what I was going to say is when you're starting that Twitter thing with, with Cardiff and all the other teams, like you're living with biz. So is that how he gets his start in the whole thing and why he's so into all this social media? Like, did you start it all? <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I don't, to be honest with you, I, I don't know. I, uh, I was new to Twitter and I mean, now I couldn't even tell you the last time I, I sent a tweet or, you know, and anything like that. I, I'm completely off it now, but, uh, at the time it was the new fad. And, uh, like you said, it's a, it's a platform for fans able to interact with people. They probably would never be able to interact. So if I tweeted something, you know, say we're going to Coventry on a Friday, be like, oh, great, have to go to this shithole again. Like, you know, can't wait to get out, can't wait to get the two points and, and get out of there. And then I have a hundred people from Coventry replying to me like, fuck you, you son of a bitch, blah, blah, blah. And I can pick out the ones that are ugly or the ones that have no teeth or the ones that are super fat and I can write them, and, you know, write them something. And it, it was just, I mean, it was humor for me. It was a way for me to, to humor myself. It was a way for me to, uh, I guess, have a release for, for express not, yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and not only that, but I mean, I was at a period where I didn't really like hockey. So, uh, it, it was a way for me to show my personality at a point where I could have got fired or I could have quit, never played another game of hockey. And I, I never would have cared, you know? So, uh, it, it, it was super cool. It was fun at the time. Would I do it now? No. But do I regret doing it? Absolutely not. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what to say about it. Like it's kind of like not to relate it to that, but it is like me deciding to start this podcast is like, I would have never guessed I'd ever do this, but like now that I'm doing it, it's like a way to express myself. I get to decide who comes on and who doesn't come on and who's in the lineup, who's not in the lineup. And like, it's like, I don't know. It's like a way of like, well, these are like the people I, I think are, it's not like, I have so many guys that want to come on this. Like I can do this for years, 
but like it's like there's certain people that you hear about like yourself I had never met you I didn't know you were from Stratford I didn't know you were from anywhere near me and then you sighed in Manchester and I'm like am I supposed to be scared like who is this guy no you didn't need to be scared I wouldn't have done anything to you, Wally. Don't worry. Just wow. a big, I'm a big teddy bear, you know? No, I, I, I wouldn't have done anything. I was, I was at a point in Manchester too, where, you know, I wasn't all that happy. Uh, I didn't enjoy my time there. I didn't like the hockey there. Did not something happen there? Did you not get suspended? I got suspended there for, yeah, I climbed the, the glass and punched Danny Stewart. Like, Got kicked out of the game. No, yeah, but he wasn't the coach at the time. He was a player. I got kicked out of the game, and he was running his mouth to me on the on the way to the bench. And I climbed over the opposing team's uh, penalty box and and tried sucker punching him. So uh, that happened while I was there. But that wasn't it. I I mean, the manager there. Uh, I can't even remember his name to be honest with you. But he he wasn't a hockey guy, and he wanted me to go in there and and basically do what I was doing in Cardiff with, with Twitter and wanted me to fight and, and do circus stuff and coming from a guy that had never been in an ice hockey fight and, and that didn't really truly understand the game. It pissed me off to be honest with you, because I'm like, okay, this guy's probably never been punched in the head. This guy's probably never been in a hockey fight and you're telling me to go out there and fight, go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? It, it, even as a guy that's been in over 200 fights in my career, I would never, ever, ever tell someone to go fight. People that have done it, they know when to do it. And if they don't want to do it, they're not going to do it. You know? So there was that disrespect factor along with the fact that I just truly wasn't into it. And you got a shitty on ice product from me. And I think it was a direct result of, of how upper management handled the team and and i think that that whole team could probably agree with with how things were ran and i'm not taking anything away from from omar pasha because i think he's a good guy and a, and a good coach and i wish him nothing but the best but um yeah it, it's just the way it was and it, it comes back to you know hockey players having these standard questions i could have you know or sorry answers i could have just said yeah manchester was fine you know but people never see the true side of you. And if people never see the true side of you, you know, maybe they can't understand where you're coming from or why you did things when you did things. So I guess it's a nice way to just air it out, to be honest with you. No. And I totally agree. It's like when I talk to my other buddies that fought, cause I didn't was like the fans love it so much, but they don't understand why it's happening when it's happening and they just want it to happen like when you're doing that all the time like there's got to be a time there's got to be a place there's got to be a reason like you can't just keep fighting for no reason there's got to be something that spurs it right yeah i mean a hundred percent too and and Add that with the fact that when I was doing it in the the American League, I had NHL signing bonus. I had a, a higher salary. I mean, you're you're making them not a you're not a millionaire by any means, but you're making a, a it, at least it's it's justifiable, you know, to to go do it there when I want to enjoy my life when I know I'm not 
going to ever play in the NHL again? Why? You know, if I'm pissed off, if, if someone does something to my teammate, if, if I'm in a bad mood that day, if, you know, whatever the case, I'm going to fight. I mean, my wires are going to get crossed up. That's, that's my natural way of being. But if, if I'm told to do something and, and I don't have it in me, how, how are you ever going to do it? You know, okay. it's like someone, someone telling you this shift before you go out, Hey, Wally, you got to score. You think you're going to score? Probably not. Cause all you're going to think about is scoring and it's probably not going to happen. There's, there's no doubt about it. And like, it's the, it is, it's the exact same. Like somebody saying, go out and fight. Like when you fight, it's gotta be passionate. You gotta, you gotta want to punch the guy in the face. Like it's got, it's gotta come from something. Right. Yeah. I, I a hundred percent agree with you. I mean, I, there was times in my career where I'd fight off a, a face off for, I guess what was deemed as no reason, but, at least in the American League, if I was fighting for no reason, I was fighting for a chance to play in the NHL on it's an still NHL. A reason. Oh, yeah, on an NHL contract. Like there, there was a reason behind it. Um, doing that in in Europe when I know I'm not going to get a contract or never play in the NHL, am I going to do that? No, I'm not. But um, like you said, that there has to be a fire, a passion a burning desire, I guess, to want to, I mean, who wants to get punched in the head just to get punched in the head? You, you have to be a complete lunatic to want that. Right. Uh, I, I mean, I, I enjoy fighting. It was a way for me to get anger out, especially when I was a pretty angry kid growing up. And it, it was a way for me to release some aggression. And um, that was fine. And, and even growing up and probably up until my mid twenties, I, I enjoyed fighting, but I, I didn't do it just to do it. I, there was always a, a reason behind it, whether one of my teammates was, was hurt, whether I wanted to get momentum, you know, whether someone was being a jackass on the other team, there, there was always a reason why I was doing it. It was never just because I wanted to go out and fight or go out and do something stupid. I There's yeah, I couldn't agree more. And like the people that try and talk about hockey, not or hockey, not having fighting, it's just not realistic. Like, there's always going to be something that starts something that like somebody needs to actually get punched in the face. Because if you do something wrong, you need to get punched in the face because a two minute penalty isn't enough. To, to be honest with you, Ollie, I think if you were to take fighting out of the game, the game would be 10 times dirtier what it is now. Um, you were a skilled guy. I wasn't fortunate enough to have the the skill you had um but i think you being on the ice with someone who had fought or was tough or you know respected by their by the opposing team that would make you feel you know you're a smaller guy but i'm sure if you you had that presence on your team you knew okay i can be wally tonight i can go out i can focus on scoring goals but if you don't have that guy on your team and there's some jackass on the other team that's running his mouth to you in warm-ups like, hey, Wally, keep your fucking head up tonight. I'm going to fucking kill you. Well, whether you like to admit it or not, when you go in the room after warm-ups, you're probably thinking like, I don't want to be on the ice with this guy. So, I mean, it, it was nice that the game kind of policed itself. And, and I've always felt that way about fighting. Uh, 
I'm not sitting here saying there should be two guys that are six, eight on each team that should just go out and fight all the time. I, I don't believe in that either. I, I think any guy that fights should be able to play the game and should have a purpose or a role in any game. But um, I think that part of the game is, is, and always should be alive. I mean, you, you take a look at a guy like Tom Wilson right now, guy's a hot commodity in the NHL because who, who can fight and score and hit now? No one. Every, everyone just wants to toe drag and, and take one timers. Like we're at a point in time with hockey where, where that's kind of got lost. And a guy like Tom Wilson is going to play in the league for a long time and going to make a lot of money because he's one of the only guys that can do it. And he is going to have the fear from his competitors for a long, long time. Um, if I was a GM in the NHL, Tom Wilson is the most underpaid hockey player in the league. That guy is more valuable than any other player in the league, in my opinion. That guy changes games. He changes the way teams play against them. He changes everybody's mindset when they're playing against him because they are scared that they're going to be the next highlight reel like concussed kid on the ice right and and it's not the fear of tom wilson fighting you i mean i don't think tom wilson's an overly tough guy I, i'd never be scared to to fight him but guess what i probably wouldn't want to pick up the puck on a hard round when tom wilson's on the ice and and i'm a guy that'll fight so imagine a guy that doesn't fight that's scoring 50 goals a year and now you got to worry about tom wilson taking your head off it it's a element to the game that if people can bring it now with the way the game is, they're untouchable. No one's ever going to touch it. You, you're, you got a free pass every night to do whatever you want, unless you're playing Ryan Reeves. And when's Ryan Reeves getting on the ice with Tom Wilson? You know what I mean? All right, so it's, it's, if you can actually be tough, like actually be tough and play the game, it's so different than when I, when I, when we were coming up, like it was, you had to be tough to play hockey. Now it's, you have to be able to play hockey. And if you are tough, that's great. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. And the, you know, the term goon is, is thrown around and I never looked at myself as a goon. I mean, in, in, in junior in the OHL is a point of game player. It scored, you know, I don't, I don't know exact numbers, but I, I think 25 goals or close to 20 to 25 goals for two or three years straight. And it's like, you know, I, I could play a little bit. I just did what I needed to do to what I thought I needed to do to, to make the NHL. And as a result of that, you kind of turn into a robot and, and you program your mind to do this or to do that in order to achieve your, your goal. So uh, along the way, I think a lot of my development got lost through my three years in the American League just because I was so focused on making the NHL in that role. At the same time, I'm how many kids dream of playing in the NHL and how many kids ever have NHL contracts or the opportunity to to play in the NHL? And I was willing to do whatever it took to to get there. I I totally understand. Like I yeah, yeah, I totally understand. I was willing to do everything too. That's why I was like trying to be like a fourth line fighter there for a couple of weeks. With, with like two shifts a game, which didn't really match with uh, my skill set. But 
What I got left here, which it's it, you might almost make the second period, <laughs> is uh, if you can drive. Is um, hold on, where is it? The last. So if you don't know if you're retiring or not, you don't know what's next. But the last four seasons, you have had almost a point a game. And if I was a GM who needs a guy to open up ice for players, you're a point of game guy that can open up ice. To be honest with you, Wally, completely honest with you, uh, you know, I, I had a tough two, three years there that we just talked about um, in, in Manchester. And then I got a chance to, to play in Italy the following year and, um, in the summer, I, I took some time to reflect and I thought, you know what, life's not that bad. I'm, I'm playing hockey. I'm, I'm making money. Let's, let's try to take advantage of this. And I went to the, to Italy, um, with the mindset that I'm not going to fight anymore. I'm going to get back to the player I was. I'm going to play hard. If a fight happens, a fight happens. Um, I'm going to suck every ounce of fun I, I can out of hockey. I'm, I'm going to suck every ounce of any experience I can, whether it's, you know, living in the mountains in Italy or, or going to Barcelona on, a, on an Olympic break and, and whatever it was. And at that point, I, I started to have fun with the game again, which I had missed for the last probably four or five years. And I got to a point where I was playing and, I was having fun and I, I wasn't a robot. I didn't get to the red line and dump the puck. I didn't go smoke someone in the corner. I, w I was making plays. I was passing the puck. I was, I was scoring goals. It was, it, it basically it brought me back to my childhood. And uh, from then on, from it, it just kept building and building and building. And I kept having more fun and more fun and more fun. And, and now I'm at a point where I truly enjoy the game. Do I miss the game right now when I'm not playing? No, I, I don't truly miss it but um I, i'm so thankful for for everything this game's given me i i had probably two or three years there that i truly believe i wasted but i was lucky enough to get back on track and, and suck another five six years out of out of my career so i'm forever thankful for that and I mean i i was lucky enough to have an italian passport i got to represent italy international internationally i mean look, looking back on it there's some pretty cool experiences so uh I, i'm grateful for all that you play for team italy yeah can you believe that no i can't i didn't know that i didn't know that was a thing or else it would have been the notes yeah no just flying under the radar wally well i tell you puck drop was uh one minute ago so i'm, I'm uh, late and in it, no state to drive now my, my wife already came down and asked me if i was going on gave her the head nod so well, well well then there's no reason to rush this so um i don't know if we have anything else but um i tell you <clears throat> when um when i have this is gonna sound strange when i have guys that i've never met before reach out to me and like hey man the podcast is good like I'm listening to it. That means a lot to me. Like I literally didn't think I would ever do this. I never thought I'd do this. 
but then when you write to me and you're like, dude, I'm listening to it. And like, I'm bare whatever, however the relationship was, but like, I knew who you were. And I was like, dude, like, well, why don't you come on? Like, if I can interview random dudes that I don't know, who knows where this could go? We could interview everybody. I know. And, and as we kind of touched on previously, uh, I think finding your way post hockey, uh, it's a different experience. There's nothing you're ever going to be able to replace hockey with. You're, you're not going to be able to replace the screaming fans. You're not going to be able to replace the excitement of a game. But if you can relive, relive some of those memories, if, if you can talk to old teammates, if, if you can share some laughs with someone, if you, if you can talk to someone you played against that you absolutely hated and, and have a beer with them and, and laugh and talk, well, I mean, that's pretty cool, right? So, um, you know, it's, it's nice to listen to all these podcasts with, with guys that are interviewing NHL players that, you know, play a thousand games in the NHL and, you know, golfing on private islands and taking their private jets from from here to there yeah that that's great that's a that's unbelievable they're in such a small percentage of of the world's population that's lucky enough to live that life but uh you know you're creating something here where you're getting a real experience from from people that you know were were good hockey players they just weren't good enough to play in the nhl and whether they played in europe or whether they played in the american league the east coast league Southern Professional League, whatever the case, you're getting a little taste of, you know, from so many various people of, of what hockey's like at various levels around various parts of the world. And, and that's cool for anyone, I think. I, I, I just, I, it started out as I just wanted to, I don't know. I, I don't know how it started out. It just came to my idea, but like then, once I've started it and like me and you have never met. Okay. We've never met in person, but like if we ever actually see each other, when this whole COVID thing goes down, we're going to have a night. Like it's going to be fun. Right. Like it, it like, we're going to be like, dude, we did that together and it was fun. Like it was fun. And like, we talked about your career I sprinkle in my thing. Like, it's fun. Like, this is, this has got my juices flowing like you wouldn't believe it, man. Having a guy on that I don't even know that's from Stratford, that's like literally 45 minutes from my hometown, that when I'm in Cardiff, Wales, the, the rumors out that Deeds is coming to the Elite League and the whole league shits themselves it's it wasn't even a joke like they were literally like oh man deeds is coming he's playing for manchester like oh my god come on and i was like who is this guy and he's from 45 minutes away <laughs> yeah see i'm a nobody there was no need to worry well anyways buddy Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I I can't thank you enough. Like for the first guy to reach out to me to say I'm doing a good job because like it does mean a lot to me because like like I said I I I I don't want to put myself out there like this but like I also want to talk to all my buddies. So 
if this is what I got to do, if this is what I got to do, like if I got to send it out there for everybody, then fine, I'll send it out there for everybody, but we're all going to talk. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and like I said, I, uh, I wish you nothing but the best moving forward here and, and maybe you'll connect with some people you never thought you would have, or, you know, maybe you'll just reconnecting with, with old teammates and whatever the case, I, I truly hope that you keep enjoying where you're doing it. It seems like you, you found a real passion here and uh, that's awesome because whatever it is that, that makes you happy, whether it's doing this, digging holes, playing hockey, you know, doing whatever it is you do it, it, for people to be happy. That's, that's the most important thing. So I'm glad you found happiness in this and I wish you nothing but the best moving forward. Hey man, thank you so much for coming on. That's the, that just warmed my heart. I'm going to hit stop recording now. Some people clap on a one and three. Some people clap on a two and four. Some people don't join at all because they got no rhythm. And that's all right. Some people, they drink too much. Some people don't drink enough. Some people are just like me. I hope y'all forgive them. I'm like Scott from San Diego fans. I'm like Pete Fans and Zan. I'm always speaking my mind when I'm better off by my tongue. I'm a bad show at the wrong time. If I'm a legend of my own mind, I'm good for some, but I'm not for it.